Well, you have to understand it's not about what you want to say. It's about what needs to be said. And that's a very hard thing for people to understand because you love your information, all of it. It all has context. It all has value. You understand every nuance and you are dying to tell everybody all of that. And you think if they could get all that information, then they'd understand it like you do. Hey there, guys. So there is this saying that I really love, and it goes like this. Either you're doing the selling or someone is selling you. Now, our effectiveness as business owners, as leaders, as parents, as partners, whatever the context is, we are always selling. But most of us are not very good at sales, even though we think we are. So what are some of the techniques that can improve our ability to get our ideas across to our customers. Our customers now can be anything in the business context, but also personal as well. We are always selling our ideas. Now, if you can sell your ideas, you get something called influence. And influence oftentimes leads us to opportunities that were previously locked behind closed doors. So to get the answer to how we can sell more effectively, and get our ideas across without the waffle of presentations or pitches and just a waste of effort trying to capture attention from an ever-shrinking attention span out there in the market. So I reached out to Brant Pinvidich. Brant is a world-renowned Hollywood producer. He has sold over 300 TV films, over a dozen series and even more films. He has sold and executively produced MasterChef, Extreme Makeover, Trading Spaces, The Biggest Losers, and Why I'm Not on Facebook, which is a world-renowned TV series hit. So, Brent and I really get into his book, which is called The Three-Minute Rule, Say Less to Get More from Any Pitch or Presentation. This idea of selling in three minutes or less really flies in the convention of much of what I know about selling and getting ideas across. There's so much you want to say, but there's only so much you need to say. So how do you get into the weeds around all of that and figure out some frameworks about how Hollywood does selling its stories best? So in this episode, guys, we get into so, so, so much of the practical aspects of selling and getting your ideas across to your end customer, whoever that might be, both personally or professionally. We talk about something called the Inform and Lead Method, which is a world-renowned Hollywood platform for storytelling. And also probably one of the big deals here is the WAC method, which he believes is effective to sell any product, any service, or any idea, regardless of the context. We also talk about VCs. He is a, a, an investor as well, an angel investor. And he talks about what VCs look for when it comes to a pitch and why, in his experience, most VCs actually do the investing. And the answer there may surprise you. Obviously, coming from Hollywood, he has personal relationships with many famous actors. He shares a really cool story about Whoopi Goldberg. So check out that one. And the favorite part of the show for me, guys, was where we talk about this idea of accumulation versus spending. And that comes towards the end of the show. But that really did resonate with me. And I'm sure that will resonate with you massively. So remember, if you'd like to join the conversation, you can do that by tweeting me at MattBrownZA or drop me a mail. Hello at MattBrownShow.com. So without further ado, into Brandt Pinvidich. And we're live. Hey guys, welcome back to you. It's another cracking installment of the Matt Brown Show. Today, I'm joined by a baller, literally a guy who's living the dream over there. Something that's on my <laughs> bucket list. Uh, but Brand, welcome to the show, dude. Great to have you here. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it, man. Happy to be here. So Brand, uh, we're going to be talking about this here book uh, that you've written uh, called yeah. Three Minute Rules, Say Less to Get yep. More from Any Pitch or Presentation. So as you know, my audience is very much uh, you know, a community of pitchers trying to sell ideas all the time. Yeah, of course. Uh, you've spent 20 years like pitching TV shows and all sorts of amazing things. So we're going to get into all of that. But uh, for those of our viewers and listeners around the world who haven't heard about brands and their amazing story that you have, 
Uh, why don't you fill us in on the elevator pitch, three minutes or less? <laughs> so I've been in 20, uh, 20 years. I was a television producer, pitching and presenting at the highest level. Um, very difficult rooms, ha- had a lot of success. So I basically took what I learned selling television shows in Hollywood, translated across all businesses. And the three-minute rule shows you how to pitch anything of value but your business product or service in three minutes or less by saying less to get more. And it's been a really interesting run, but I teach companies and CEOs how to simplify their information to convey more confidence and actually deliver more valuable information. When you make something very clear and concise, people actually understand it better. They focus on the information that you're saying that is important. And when you lead that using some Hollywood storytelling techniques, it really helps the process. Mm. Yeah, it's a, this is such an important subject, I think, for, uh, for all of us, right? Because I think the, the truism here is that either you're doing the selling or someone's selling you. Um, and, you know, uh, whether you're trying to sell a product or just trying to get people to do stuff, right? <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's really key. Um, but um, you said by saying less to get more. Um, so I want to unpack that because I think in, in, in the world of in my space, B2B tech sales and and marketing. It's just so much shouting and everybody wants to say a whole lot of stuff. Um, And it almost, you know, that idea of saying less, it almost flies in the face of what the current paradigm is, right? It's because I have a a media company called a smartphone. I can now just shout and do as much as content recycling, Gary V, but you're actually saying something else. Well, if you think about it, the way people, and I talk about this on stage all the time, where it's like the human attention span is down to about 8.2 seconds. Goldfish is at nine seconds. The joke is we have a shorter attention span than a goldfish. And I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. But the problem that people think is they think it is the smartphone. They think this is what's causing it. And, and people have dumbed down. And, and social media and TV and all of the, our media stuff is making us with a shorter attention span. It's actually not true. It's the actually complete and total opposite of that. Our attention span is so hyper-focused that we demand value and quality from something that we focus on. Otherwise, we're off onto the next thing. And that's where people don't understand is that it's not that we focus more intensely than we've ever focused before because we have so many options for valuable information. And the problem is if you don't give me something of value, If I give you my precious attention and you don't give me something of value in the first eight seconds, I'm off doing something else. My brain is moving somewhere else. And if you notice that the way you scroll through Instagram or Facebook or TikTok, like think how fast you get your thumb ready to scroll through someone's video or a piece that you're watching, right? Like if it doesn't grab you, you are done. And that doesn't matter if you're a TikTok influencer or you're the CEO of a Fortune 100 company. If you don't get people to want to stay with you the entire length of your presentation, you are missing valuable opportunities. And even if someone shows up for your presentation and you know that you're going to have them captive audience for 45 minutes, it's like if you don't get them to buy into the premise in those first three minutes, your odds of doing so after that are astronomically different. You are setting yourself up for a much more difficult task. And in today's world, we have a very hypersensitive audience. We know people are selling at all times. We, we are immune to the marketing crap and the click funnels and the clickbait and all of this stuff. And I, you know, I make the joke, like if, if someone was in an elevator pitch, and they leaned in and said, excuse me, I, I, can, I have an investment opportunity that can make you 10 times your money by the end of the year. Would that interest you? You don't lean in and go, ooh, tell me more, right? Like, you're like, oh, God, get away from me, right? You instantly think total crap. And you're there. Except that's what we've been teaching salespeople since the dawn of time, right? If you can get a, if you can get a time machine and go back to the 80s when that might have worked, where I make you a big promise, and then try to fill it in. That's called the state improve method, right? And it's what we've been doing in advertising and marketing since the beginning. I'm going to tell you something that you want, and then I'll prove to you that it works or how you get it. Would you like to lose weight and eat anything you want? Oh, well, yes, I would, man. I would love that. Okay, well, here's my system, right? And that's the way we still think about things. And it's not how it works. And in Hollywood, we do it the complete opposite direction. And we've been doing it for a long time. I don't know why other people haven't picked up on this, but We'd use a a format called the inform and lead method. I'm going to tell you 
the information and lead you to the conclusion that I want. I will tell you how all this works. I will tell you what I offer. And then you'll be like, wait, so I could eat whatever I want and still lose weight. It's what we do in movies. If you think about my favorite movie, Shawshank Redemption, we don't, we don't start the movie by saying Andy Dufresne escapes from this horrible prison. Let me explain why. Spoiler alert, by the way. But like, what we do is we take you through the character. We take you through his situation. We take you through the incidents. We build you so that doesn't matter how many times you watch that movie, you still want him to escape. You know how it ends, right? You go to Titanic, you know the boat sinks. You still sit there for three hours and watch it. Why? Because storytelling is very powerful. And storytelling is done in an inform and lead method. I give you information and lead you to the finish line. Now, when you combine that with this hypersensitive audience that is just looking for the information, when you can clarify and say less, it actually conveys a level of confidence that will instill value in you and your product. And I'll give you a perfect example. Let's say I wanted to cater your wedding. You're looking to hire a caterer, and I'm going to pitch you on my chef choice, and I need you and the bride to sign off. And my chef that I got is Gordon Ramsay. Now, I'm coming to meet you and the bride to pitch you my chef. How many words do you think I need to sell you that, right? I have Gordon Ramsay. That's it. Now, am I going to walk in there and talk about his Michelin stars? Am I going to show you clips of uh, Master Chef? Am I going to try to build up who he is? I'm going to try to make sure that this is a one-time offer. Am I going to throw a contract? If I, you've got to sign now. I, no, no. My chest is going to be up. I'm going to fee- and I'm going to say, I got Gordon Ramsay, right? Now, conversely, let's say it's my brother-in-law. He's an ex-convict. He doesn't really cook, but he needs a job, and he's really angry with me, and he's demanding that I get him a job. Now, how many words am I going to need to sell you that idea, right? And so I am going to be trying to sell you on the idea of, well, you don't need this. You don't need that. You don't need a chef like this. A chef isn't that important. Like, and you and your bride are going to smell that in the air. You're going to see it. You're going to know it. You're going to know that I don't have confidence in the value that I'm bringing. The more words you use to sell something, the inverse value you are conveying to your audience. It is a sliding scale. The less words you use, the more value you are conveying. It is that simple. And that is really what I teach is how to get the fewest words in the shortest amount of time, but convey the the most value you can by using the right information in the right order so that your audience feels it like a story. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Yeah, there's so much I want to unpack there uh, with you, Brent. Uh, the, I want to just quickly detour back to something that you said about attention because, you know, without attention, you're kind of dead in the water. There was a, a really amazing uh, quote that I came across uh, recently on LinkedIn and, and it went, um, attention wins the battle, but retention wins the war. And what you're saying, it's almost like the the oil between both of those things, you know, whether you're trying yeah. to get attention or just retain it, right? Because we, the, I think the other thing I wanted to maybe stress test with you is an old idea because you mentioned we've been teaching salespeople like this stuff for years. And that, and that one was people love to buy, they hate being sold to. Uh, would you agree with that? I mean, not only do I agree with that, you cannot sell people things anymore. Like it's not that they hate to be sold. They won't let you sell them. That is just a fact. And, you know, I've worked with, you know, hundreds of companies and trained, you know, 
major corporations. And one of them was in the timeshare business. They wanted me to come in and help revamp their timeshare business. Because you can imagine how hard it is to sell timeshares these days, right? Everybody has a negative connotation. And the, the high pressure emotional sales tactics they used to use are just not working. And they're running out of audience that they can convince to buy on emotion right in the moment, right? And so the fact is, is like, unless you have a very clear plan of how I'm going to show you exactly the value of what I have, and how it works, and a firm belief that if you understood my product, business, or service the way I understand it, you'd have to be interested, right? If you genuinely believe that, then you wouldn't need to sell it. You would just need to explain it. And that's it. Like I bought, I'm on a giant RV trip right now, and I bought this particular RV, right? And if I was selling you this, I wouldn't have to trick you. I would just tell you exactly what it is. And if it fits your lifestyle, like you will come to the same conclusion I did. That's why I bought it. And the sales guy could not convince me of this. All he can do is provide me the groundwork to make my own decision or at least feel like I'm making my own decision. Because if I, if I was selling you this I, and I really believe that it was the right one for you, all you'd have to do is see it the same way I see it. And that's what I teach constantly is how to convey information. All you're trying to do in sales is translate my idea into your understanding. That's it. If I can get you to understand my ideas at the same level, same value I do, you will be sold. So the most important thing is to focus on the core of the information. And I talk about, I mean, the book is very all about this, right? And I break it down to these four steps of any presentation. Tell me what it is. Tell me how it works. Show me that it's true. And then tell me how I can get it. And that's it. That's all you need to do. What a brand, what are some of the common misconceptions about getting a potential customer to understand the value of what you do? Like what are some of the, you know, things that you've encountered over the, over the many years, the 20 years of selling TV shows and films and things? Um, that you know our audience are probably sitting with right now that we need to debunk once and for all? Well, you have to understand it's not about what you want to say. It's about what needs to be said. And that's a very hard thing for people to understand because you love your information, all of it. It all has context. It all has value. You understand every nuance. And you are dying to tell everybody all of that. And you think if they could get all that information then they'd understand it like you do. And that's the problem. It's not about all of the information. It's about the context of the information in the right order so they can build an understanding. You can't just dump all the information because it won't have the right context to people. They don't understand it. Human beings make decisions in three very clear, very like obvious and undeniable ways that, that is scientifically how we make decisions. First, we look at the concept, then we look at the context, and then we look to actually, that's it. So we conceptualize, contextualize, then we actualize. That's it. What am I going to wear today? Okay, what am I doing? Got it. What do I have to, what, what do I have in the closet that fits that? Is it clean? Can I put it on? Do I have it here? Like, that's it. Am I going to kill my wife tonight? Where it's like, why do I want to do that? How would I do it? And if I can get away with it, you know what I mean? What time should I, like it's the same decision making process? It doesn't matter what it is. Once I understand the concept, I look for the context of how it's going to relate to me, and then I look at how am I going to do it. And the same thing in, in, a, in a pitch is like you can only start with the basic information what is it? Right? And that is where people lose track of it, is they, they spend so much time trying to throw the information out. It's really not about what you, like I said, it's not about what you want to say. It's about what needs to be said to lead your audience. And I'll give you a great example because it's not easy to do. It sounds easy to simplify, but it's taken me 20 years to learn how to say things in three minutes, right? And when I wrote the book, the publisher was very clear, like write the intro to the book after you've written the entire book. Then you'll know the book, all the details, and you write the intro. So I finally wrote the book. I'm all excited. And now I'm going to write the intro. So I go on vacation to Jamaica. I'm going to spend three or four days there of my two-week vacation writing the intro. It's going to be great. I'll sit on the beach, write an intro. My, and I have this great idea. The intro to the three-minute rule is going to be three minutes, right? 
which is about four pages, which ironically, scientifically, is the exact number of pages that people use to read a, to decide if they're going to read a business book. They read about four pages at the beginning, and then they're off, right? But the average business book is about a 14-page intro. So do the math on that, right? So I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to open the intro with, hey, this intro is about four pages, which is three minutes, so let's see if my pitch works, right? My first pass on that, 14 pages long. 14 pages. I'm the guy who does this for a living. Oh, crap. I get it down. I get it down. I get it down. I get it down to seven pages. And this takes me two weeks of my entire vacation. And I can't get it lower than seven pages. So now I start rationalizing myself. Well, the intro that I've written is so good. And the information is so important that I need to have it all in there. Maybe this is the one time where my rule doesn't exactly apply. I was like, you know, it's so good, right? And I knew that wasn't right. So I finally had to go back home. And I had to literally break it down like I would if I was crafting a pitch from the beginning. I got my bullet points out. I did my post-it notes. I put it through my whack method. And I finally got it down to the four pages that you, that you read today. However, when I was doing galley copies, which are like early copies that the publisher sends out to get critics and stuff, one of my friends at Reddit said, oh, my God, love your book, blah, blah, blah. But I wish that the first chapter had started a little earlier or, or like was shorter. And I read the first chapter again, which I hadn't been doing, obviously, because once you write it, and I realized I was so precious about my information in that intro that I cut that I actually moved some of it to the first chapter because I thought it was that important. And when I read it again, I realized it's absolute crap. And thank God I was able to convince the publisher to redo it. And I cut like, I don't know, another two pages out of the first chapter. And even when I read the first chapter today, it's like, there's two paragraphs I could cut. You know, on the first, like in the first chapter, because that's how precious we get about our information. And you're talking to a guy who does this for a living. So that's the number one thing people get wrong is they get so precious about their information. They're not prepared to let the information do the work. Mm. So, so I'm hearing the same sort of thing come across in, in my mind, which is uh, stru- the structure of information is critical. Right. Absolutely. It's like step one is this, you know, like the way that you explained it, which was, you know, concept, context, actualize or inform first, then lead. That's Um, right. So um, can we maybe get into some of the meats and the potatoes around that? Because I want to I want you to talk about your whack method, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um, And then I think for our audience at this stage. Uh, on the structure of information, you mentioned the inform and lead method. Um, how and then obviously again, concept, context, actualize. There's lots of different frameworks there. How does that all uh, come together practically for a startup founder who has who believes in his product? He's got a potential customer, and all he needs to do is to get the the potential customer to understand exactly yeah. how awesome this product is. <clears throat> well, you know, first, what people will want to do all the time is they'll want to start with their facts and figures. I can't tell you how many pitches I get that start with either A, who are the founders and their backgrounds, or B, the size of the market. And there are people listening right now that have a pitch deck right now that is filled with one of those two things almost in the beginning, right? And that's because you you are putting things out of order. When I look at the WAC method, and I'll explain that, it's W-A-C. W-H-A-C, right? What is it is the W. How does it work is the H. Are you sure is the A. And can you do it is the C. Now, those four steps of a presentation are mimicked identically to how human beings make decisions and rationalize what they do, right? I have to understand what it is. I have to understand how it works for me. And then I'm going to rationalize why I do it, right? Why do you drive the car you drive right now? If you close your eyes and, and tell yourself why you drive your car, you'll unbelievably hear the simplest sentences in your mind of just pure, clean information because you're not trying to sell yourself. You already know, it, right? So when you look at what it's literally, what is it? What is the value that you bring? What do you do? Um, I'll give you an example. I am a personal trainer that specializes in preparing actors for major movie roles. Now, that is the W. What is it? Right? Sounds so simple. You know it exact. Now, do you, you already know. You are already making strides into understanding what this person does. Right? And it's like, okay, how do you do it? H, how do you do it? It's literally how you do it. Not what are the size of the marketplace, what makes you unique in the market, what your patents are, none of that. 
How do you do it? I move in to the actor's home 90 days before the movie starts so I can monitor their behavior, their diet, and their training regimen. Now, that is literally two or three sentences. And everybody listening right now already knows what this person does and how they do it. And you already have an idea of the structure of what this trainer does, right? And I've said two sentences. Now, so to think, now I would go into, are you sure? Okay. Which the, are you sure? This is the facts, the figures and the logic and the reason, right? This is now I want to validate that you understand what I do. I want to validate that this is real. I want to validate that this is good. This is where I would say I trained Vin Diesel for Fast and Furious, right? I trained Will Smith to get ready for um, Ali, okay? Now I put context to my first structure and now it's like, oh my God, I'm already in. Now it's like, can you do it? I have a six month waiting list. You gotta be referred by whatever it is. I cost $40,000, whatever it is. After that point, it's like, okay, let's talk about the meat. Now let's get into it. I'm interested, right? And that's called the difference between the information and the engagement phase. The information phase is, let me get you these sentences out so you understand what I do and how it works and that I can validate it and how it's gonna go. Now let's open the gates, let's talk, let's get detailed, right? And that's where people get this, is they want to engage with their audience before their audience is really up to speed and they're you're missing out. And that is the core. You can do that at home right now with your pitch. What is it? If you had to tweet about it, I do an exercise in the book. If you had to tweet and you had 140 characters, could you lay out your idea? Well, you better, because that's where you need to be able to start from. You need to start from that. And I actually do that with CEOs. I mean, major companies. And I would say that to at home, start with um, an exercise I use called the what, what meets what exercise. So let me see if I can give you an example. I'm going to pitch you a show. Um, okay. Show is the amazing race for the smartest people in the world. Okay. Basically nine words. Can you, can you explain it to me in less than 10 words? Amazing race for the smartest people in the world. Now, that's less than 10 words. And I bet people at home kind of can already put together a little bit of what that show is, right? You know what the amazing race is, racing around, solving problems, trying to race. But what if it was the smartest people in the world? That must mean like, are they doing big challenges or very difficult problems, right? Mm -hmm. So once you get that, then I like, I'll say, I'll give you 10 words. Okay, now we got that. Now you can have 30 words. Let's see what else. What would you add then if you only had 20 more words to add? I would start adding, you know, teams of three people, MIT graduates, NASA engineers, you know, competing in the most difficult, largest challenges across the globe. Like, do you kind of get the show already? Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. How does now, it work? Now, <laughs> now, ima now imagine that you're the president of Fox and you hear 1,100 television pitches every year. Okay. Do you think that guy gets it? Do you think the president of Fox understands what that show is? From that moment, the president of Fox can go make the show. He doesn't even need me anymore, right? And that's what you're dealing with at home. You're going to pitch an investor for your startup. Do you know how many pitches a guy that can invest a million dollars in something hears? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So like, what do you need to tell them? Like, honestly, what do you really need to say? It's not about what you want to say. What do you need to say? I'm dealing with this right now with a major television network has hired me to come in and train their staff on how to present to their ad buying networks. And they are the number one Hispanic television network in the world. And yet so many of their decks and so many of their presentations start and contain all the details about the Hispanic market. It's like, if you're pitching to Nike or to Goodyear, like, and you're the you're number one, Hispanic television, they know that you have the Hispanic market. They know how important it is. Why are you spending time on that? Like, that's something we talk about later, another day, right? I'm not going to tell the president of Fox intricate production details or moments. It's like, hey, we're doing Amazing Race for the smartest people in the world. Amazing Race has dumb people that are always competing. They're falling over IKEA level challenges. Imagine we take MIT graduates and Caterpillar engineers. And we put them against each other in, in a race that involves the most complex, gigantic, enormous, unsolvable puzzles. First one to the end wins. 
How much more does he and I need to talk about the pitch? Now we're going to talk about the show. Now I've got him engaged. Now he comes in and be like, wait, how are you going to cast them? Blah, blah, blah. Now, now it's like, oh, by the way, we produce the show. We do this. Like, that's how a pitch should be. It's like, here's what it is. Here's how it works. Yes, I can do it. Here's how I make it work for you. And believe me, yeah. if I'm pitching you a television show and all I say is, Amazing Race for the smartest people in the world. We're going to get MIT graduates. They're going to go to the biggest things. If that's all I say in the meeting, you know I can produce that show. You know that I have confidence that I've done this before. You know that, like, because nobody would walk into that room and pitch a show like that unless they knew what they were doing. So People who don't know how to pitch shows will ramble on 15 minutes about the show. Yeah. Exactly. So just to maybe tie something back for, for, for our audience. Uh, so you mentioned the word premise, start with the premise. That's the what. That's the premise yes. of the show. Okay. Yeah. What do you do? You know, we are an electrical vehicle controller manufacturer. We make controllers for electric vehicles. Okay. I get it. We use power switching technology to vary the speed control of an electric motor. Like, this is stuff that no consumer would ever get pitched, but this is how my client talks now. And it's like, oh, okay, you make a controller, it uses various speed technology, I got it, right? Now it's like, now we can talk about it. The controller becomes the brains of the electric motor, makes it perform more efficiently, we use real-time coil switching. We get 30% more range from the same battery charge. We're already working with Ducati, we're already working with these companies. Our test bench is a three-month system will cost you $120,000 to go through and get the data. Effectively, that's their pitch. It's a billion dollar company. And brand and it's wildly uh, effective. Obviously you sold I think on on your site now on me just bring it up for everybody uh, so they can see the kind of stuff that you've been selling in terms of your shows here which is just insane. So you've sold more than 300 television projects executively produced 50 series and a dozen films. Um, uh, have you ever encountered and where I want to go with this is let's say you get this, you do this thing, right? You, you do the whack method, you're in the room, you deliver it with confidence. This is your best version of yourself in the room. And the person on the end of the line, the producer in your case, or the head of the network, what have you is like, yeah, man, I saw something similar yesterday and whatever his excuses, whatever her excuses, there are objections. Um, yeah. Are there any tactics that you've learned to uh, resolve, you know, objections to buying the product? Honestly, that's a great question. I'm so happy to talk about this. Absolutely not. Anybody who you see on a video or on YouTube that's telling you how to overcome objections, you should turn them off right away because that is not a process you can learn. You cannot overcome objections with any tricks, with any ideas, with any phrasing. You cannot do that. That is, no one will let you do that, right? What you can overcome objectives with is information. That's it. And what will happen is, is people will object because they have information on their end that maybe doesn't jive with what you have. And so that is going to be a discussion that you're having in the engagement phase. That's how you get over the objection. What you're thinking about is the objection in concept, right? Is what normally happens is people will object because they don't understand the concept properly or they're missing some of the context and they don't see the value. Now you're like, wait, I want to show you value. Wait, I want to show you value. You're, you're done. You've missed it, right? Objections as to I can't afford this. Objection as to what I deal with all the time is I don't think our audience will respond to that because the smartest people in the world competing is not relatable. I can't overcome that objective. It's, it, you know, at CBS, that is the way they're going to, they, they won't think that at Fox does. Okay. He knows his product. Now what's good is I get the no and I move on. Like the only way to overcome objections is to talk it through from a place of engagement where the person is genuinely interested and genuinely concerned and wants to clarify things. That's it. And that is going to be each individual pitch every single time. Now, if you're running into the same object objection every single time, that's usually a signal that you've got a problem, particularly if you're pitching it well, right? And that's happened to me many times. 
I will go get passes on a show and it'll be for the exact same reason. Now, there's nobody in my business that I've ever pitched to that doesn't understand exactly the show I'm pitching, exactly how the show is going to work, why I think it's going to be interesting and, and competitive and fun. So they understand that. And when seven networks pass for the same reason, they're probably right. That's probably where it is, you know? It yeah. probably doesn't have the appeal. It probably does. The casting probably isn't strong enough. All of those things. And so that's actually a huge advantage to you, right? It's like now you're really getting to uncover issues and you're getting to see objections that are genuinely based on the quality and the actual function of your product. Not like, oh, I don't get it. How many people listening right now have pitched, a, pitched something, their idea, and the buyer has a question in the middle of it. And you're like, okay, yeah, I'm getting to that in a minute, right? Yeah, you know, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm going to talk about that in a second, right? that's because you've already got them confused. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, that's such a key thing for, for our audience. Right. And that, um, yeah. if, if, you, if the feedback starts sounding the same, it's probably true. Um, yes. and, and feedback is, is literally everything, you know, to your point, it could be the cost. It could be, I don't know, the concept for the show, the premise for the show or budget, who knows. Um, but, um, um I want to use that as, um, context for, my next question, which is going back to, you know, all the series that you've sold and the films you've done and all the success that you've had selling ideas, essentially, have you uncovered something in your own life in whichever context that would, or that helps you to predict whether something will succeed in the future? I mean, I used to, I used to feel like I knew what TV shows were going to sell and what weren't, right? Like I used to feel that, but as the business got really difficult, I just stopped being able to know what show was going to work, what they were going to buy. And ironically, as I grew more discontent in the television business, it actually honed my pitching capabilities because I stopped trying so hard to convince people that this was the show. It was like, it didn't matter. Cause I, you know, I'd have things that I would love and I couldn't sell. And then I have things that I didn't even want to go out with because they seemed so dumb or derivative and it would sell. And I've had shows that I was in the edit bay every day, all day molding it. And it went on and fit and failed. And I had shows. I didn't even bother looking at it at the final cuts because I didn't care about the show. And it went on to be a big hit. And I've had everything in between. And so what I found was, is, the less I personally invested in trying to figure out what the outcome was going to be for this, this audience or that audience. And the more I invested in, let me just get this to its simplest version so that I can pitch it to anybody at any time and they can pitch it to the next person in basically the same way that helped emotionally where I wasn't chasing ideas. I wasn't chasing why this didn't work for them or why I was wrong about this. I just was able to be like, here it is, make your decision. And I think it, all, it, it instilled more confidence because everybody knows in the negotiation, the person who has the least amount to care is going to win. Right. And I felt like that became part of my thing is like, I'm very passionate about my ideas, but I'm not passionate about you wanting them or not. That's fine. You don't want it. That's totally fine. The next guy will, you can clearly see it. This is, the next guy is going to look at this. And that's in the VC world why I've had so much luck raising money for companies is I think because when a pitch is really clearly crafted and really clean, investors can see how the next guy will interpret it. And that scares them more than their decision of whether to invest their money. Their decision of whether somebody else will get it and they missed it is, is almost more painful. You know, a lot of investors are used to losing money. It's a mathematical problem for them. They invest in 10 things or 50 things. They're going to get one big enough to, like, they know the math. You, it's not about the ones that you miss that hurt. It's the one, it's not the one that, that don't work that hurt. It's the ones that you, that work that you could have had. Because those are the ones that make everything different, right? If you, if you invest in 50 things to get one, is the same as if you invest 56 things to get one or 54, 61, like it doesn't really matter how many you get wrong. Mostly it's about, did you get the one that was right? Mm -hmm. And so when you're, when you pitch something in a very clean, concise, sort of powerful way, it will make people see how others will see the value. Like no one's going to be confused about this pitch. 
everybody's going to look at it. That means the competition is going to look at it. That means the other investors are going to look at it, other consumers, and they can start to extrapolate how others will look at it. Even if it wasn't right for them, they'll be like, yeah, those guys will like it because they can see it clearly. Yeah, it's such a such a powerful insight that if, if I could share just something from my side. I mean, the first quarter of our financial year was was really tough just coming out of COVID and stuff um, and just really trying to push the scale button, you know, <laughs> trying to go from like a 50 man business to 150 sort of thing. And um, as a CEO, just to echo what you've just said, I was so attached to the outcome. And for like four months, I was miserable. I was a miserable sot. Like, yeah. I would just like, I kind of lost my mojo. Like I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> you know? Um, and often I, I meditate and I reflected on this and, it, and it's exactly what you just said. And I, I landed in that, on that same insight and in that I was so uh, uh, focused on the outcome it caused me anxiety and my life was, it was like, I'm always looking, I'm not really focused on the activity of selling yeah. the activity itself. And, you know, if you focus on the activity, you find your flow. If you find, if you focus on the outcome too much, you, you actually just become a miserable sod. <laughs> uh, does that yeah. uh, resonate with you? Yeah. And I think that again, it, it, it comes down to confidence. Like how much confidence do you have in the value of what you're presenting? If you really had confidence in it, well, again, you wouldn't have to sell it. And one person's reaction wouldn't be as much of a concern. You would just know. And I'll, I'll give you a good example. So I, I, I have a lot of interesting, weird friends from being in Hollywood for a long time. And one of them was a pretty high level actor came to me and said, hey, I want you to meet my buddy. We'll, we'll call him Chris. Uh, he's an investor. He's been invested in a couple of my movies and he's got this product. And I think you'd really be interested. We could use your help. Okay. He's a South Korean billionaire, and I've never met him before. I know my buddy knows him well. And he said, you know, he gets on the phone, and he, they're going to make N95 masks from South Korea. Korea, they, they wear masks much more. This is just as the pandemic is getting into full swing last April. And the idea is he's going to take the technology they have in, in South Korea. He's going to import these massive manufacturing machines on a boat bring them over to Los Angeles, set them up. He's going to crank out N95, these N95 nano masks. It's going to be amazing. They're going to sell like crazy. He's like, everybody's going to be wearing masks. We're going to sell tons of them. It's fantastic. I was like, that's a really interesting idea. Uh, how much money are you raising? He's like, I'm not really sure. Maybe like, I don't know, maybe 4 million, maybe 7 million. Not really sure. Yet. Uh, okay. Well, so what's the investment structure? What's the return like? Well, I haven't really thought that much about that. I think maybe I'll do it as a promissory note or whatnot, and maybe some convertible. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but we'll, you know, there'll be some equity. We'll, we'll figure that out. Okay, do you have a deck that I can like look through the things? Like, no, I, I haven't had time to do that yet. Oh, okay. Do you have a map? Like, you have one of the maps? Yeah, but it's in Korean. I haven't made an American one yet, right? And every question was just like, yeah, no, I, no, I don't have any of that. And he's like, yeah, but you know what? You just put in something small. We'll, we'll cut you in because you can help us out. Like, you know, put in 250 and then, and then we'll do something. And I swear to God, I damn near got my checkbook out. What? Not because I thought the masks were amazing, but because the only person that would talk to me like that, that could have given two rats asses about whether I came in or not or invested or not, or he didn't care. The only person that would ever do that is a billionaire who couldn't care less if I put money in. And that just made me want to give this guy money. And, you know, my wife talked, <laughs> talked me out of She would have killed me. So I just helped them and whatnot. And they sold them. And they did sell millions of masks. So maybe I should have just written them a check. But what that illustrates is the power of that attitude and the number of words and the lack. Now, I would never recommend anybody go into a pitch that unprepared. But you could see that having a little bit of that flavor of like, listen, I'm doing this whether you're in or not. You should come in. Imagine having that attitude and, and confidence, but with the actual material. You know, and my buddy just did this to me last week when we were in Pennsylvania. He's like, hey, I think I have an opportunity for you if you want to get in on this. And I'm like, listen, I see, I see so many. I, I, you know, I'm out of money. I can't just keep investing, stuff, basically. And, he, and, and his pitch was, 
I think when you see it, you'll understand it better. Why don't you go meet the guy? That was it. So I went and met with him, and he's a guy who makes replica firearms into basically BB guns. But they are such a high-level handcrafted metal replica that you can't tell the difference in your hand. And he uses a gas blowback system to make the recoil of firing it identical to a real weapon. And so for training purposes in the military and the police, they can now train with BBs that are basically free as opposed to very high level, high expensive munitions that are also kind of dangerous. Not only that is you can give these things as replica gifts that people can actually leave on their desk and show and display and not be a real firearm, including firearms that are completely illegal. So when I had it in my hands and I fired it, it's like, oh, let me get my checkbook, right? (laughs) And that's because my buddy knew that the most valuable thing you could possibly do in this moment was to get one of these things in my hands. And so he didn't spend any time pitching it or creating a whole thing. He knew the most valuable thing is all I got to do is make Brandt understand Here's the potential. Here's what we're doing with it. And he said, we're making replicas, sell to the military. You'll understand when you see it. And that was it. And that's because his confidence was, oh, as soon as you touch it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that is the attitude that you can convey when you get your message in a simple form. It can be like, wow, this guy's got his shit together. Yeah. It's interesting that because uh, I had one of my customers, uh, one of my first sort of logos we had in our portfolio for like five years now <laughs> they came to me and they were like look here we're paying you too much money not to own a slice of you so we want to own a slice so i'm like okay fine so let's chat about it so anyway long story short i was meeting with the it's a family-owned business and uh it's the it's it's literally it's a monster business uh billions worth billions a year so we'd be a very small dent in their whole sort of portfolio but uh, nonetheless I, I said he was like how much do you want and I told him what I wanted this kind of thing and and then he was like well I you know I think that's a bit too much I was like okay well I was like listen yeah either you're going in at this number or because we're going to be a fucking big business with or without you and I was just that's exactly <laughs> and he's right. and they're still nibbling they're still nibbling since like we didn't take the conversation further but it's uh, you know it's, I can relate to to what you're saying yeah that attitude is not something you can fake, right? You can convey that attitude, not with body language, not with neuro-linguistic programming. None of that crap works. You can convey that with confidence. And I'll, I'll go back to my trainer, my personal trainer. If someone was to meet him and he said, I trained Vin Diesel for Fast and Furious. That's his, kind of his opening. Your instinct is not, oh, wow, you must be the most amazing. I, I want to work with you. Your instinct is kind of like, what do you mean trained? Like, are you the only trainer? Like, like uh, your brain does not go like, wow, your brain goes, what does that mean? Like, trained him and how, with what? Did you train him by yourself? Like, were you advisor? Like, you don't know. And so here is his number one claim to fame is that he's trained some of the biggest movie stars for the biggest roles. And if he started with that, it'd be a deterrent. Now he can go explain all the details and you might get back. But right away, he comes out with that information and you're like, man, what is, I don't even know what that means. Train, like when, how long, right? But when he starts out with just the simple part of it, I train actors for major movie roles. And that, that's it. And he goes, I actually move into their house for 90 days before the filming so I can monitor all their stuff and get them ready. I train Vin Diesel for Fast and Furious. Now, that piece of information, think about how much more context that has and how much more value it has. Two sentences later. Two mm-hmm. sentences later. It's because now you're like, oh, crap. Like, I know exactly what you do. I know how you do it. And now you just verified that it must be bloody good. And you didn't have to tell me. You didn't say I'm the, I'm the most elite personal trainer in Hollywood. He didn't say, he doesn't say that. He doesn't need to, right? You fi- you'll figure that out, right? As he says, and, and the guy who doesn't need to say that must be that guy. Because the guy who is the elite top number one trainer in Hollywood doesn't need to tell you he's the number one trainer in Hollywood. Uh, That's how he speaks. And you're like, Oh my God, I can, you can make your pitch say that same thing. Hmm. You want to say this is an amazing investment opportunity that could make you a ton of money. Don't say that out loud. That's the first thing. Cause the person who has an amazing investment opportunity that can make someone a ton of money doesn't say that out loud. They say, 
here's the product. Here's how it works. Here's the marketplace. Here's the investment structure. I got to go. <laughs> like, thanks for listening. Bye. Yeah. Take it or leave it. <laughs> um, right? Yeah. Brent, just a quick one. Just another thing that you mentioned, venture capital and uh, that kind of that space. Um, there's the old adage that, you know, as a VC, you, you, you back the jockey first and then the idea. What's the relevance to, to what we covered today in that specific context? I mean, that is technically true, just not in the way most people think of it, right? You know, you, you, you bet on people, you don't bet on ideas. That's not true in, in the sense. Like, you can bet on a person. You wouldn't do that unless their idea was solid or the person is the idea. That's, the dif- that's a difference, right? And I'll give you a good example I wrote about in the book. You know, I was involved in a pitch with Mark Burnett. And as he's going in to pitch the show, he had the hottest hand in, in television. He just had The Apprentice. He, he, he had Survivor on the air. Like, he had the restaurant. Everything was working. Mark Burnett is the great, one of the great television producers of all time in our, in our industry. And so when he was going into CBS to pitch the next show, the idea was called Pirate Master. It was the idea of Survivor on a pirate ship. And when you get eliminated, you have to walk the plank. And there's a booty of gold to the winner. Like, you know, whatever. But the way I explain it is that his what is it was not it's Survivor in a Pirate Ship. His what is it was it's Mark Burnett's new idea, and he thinks it's going to be a big hit. Okay, that's the actual pitch. So now the network is saying, well, we're buying Mark Burnett's idea, uh, not just the idea. The venture capitalist was, well, I'm buying this entrepreneur, not the idea, which is like, not really the actual idea is it's this guy. This guy was the number three at Twitter and now he's doing this and it's a social media platform. Will the social media platform works? He's going to do, I don't know. But the pitch is I was the number three at Twitter and now I've just created a new social media piece. You know what I mean? Like if, if you happen to be the only person in the world that can do this or your experience is the most valuable thing in the pitch, okay, that becomes your what is it. For most people, it's not like that. And so for most VCs, they're buying the idea and the ability to execute. That's it. What's your idea? Do you have the ability to execute? Now, if your ability to execute supersedes any idea, you're probably not listening to this because you probably have got lots of money and have invested lots of time. So Hmm. you don't need this information. But most people, you have to have a solid idea. Then you could tell me how you can execute. Unfortunately, People will go in saying, I know how to execute stuff. And by the way, here's my idea. And it's like, yeah, I, don't, I don't care. Do you know how many Harvard grads there are in the world today? I don't care that you went to Harvard. There are so many people that went to Harvard and Oxford and Yale and MIT. There are so many of them that it's, it's, it's nothing. It's worth nothing out in their real world. Like, no, don't put that on your, in your deck in the beginning at all. I don't care. There are thousands and thousands of people that went to Harvard. Thousands of them. It means nothing. What do you do? What is it? After that might have some value. Mm-hmm. So it's a very it's like intellectual thought bombs there. Um, I want to quickly uh, ask you this. So I mean, I know you, 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 many people would regard you as being successful, but um, what would you say has been your greatest success? Um, I think on a on a professional level, for me, the professional level is when I was able to you know, work with clients specifically because I really wanted to help that client, right? When I stopped selling my own services, like when you're in television, all you do is sell all day, trying to sell TV shows, you are relying on relationships to do that, right? And then when you, when you do a book, you are relying on relationships. I have to ask favors. I have to do, and I remember a very specific story that kind of changed my life a little bit is I was so excited to get out of the day-to-day grind of television because it's just, it's exhausting. You know, it's, it's an exhausting business that is, you know, almost futile from a creative standpoint. And when the book was taking off and my consulting and, and what I've been doing speaking was going so well, I was like, I'm going to do this. And then when I started promoting the book, I realized, oh my God, this is the same as television, asking people for favors, trying to get it to people to buy it. It's like, I, you know, I wasn't enjoying that. And Whoopi Goldberg and I were friends from a sh- television sh- series we did together. And I remember the, the publisher was kind of getting me grief about promoting and how much, you know, and I was having to give them reports and they were just sort of like, ask her to get on the view. And I was like, 
you know, the view's doing so much political stuff now that I'm not, it's probably not, but maybe she'll do me a favor or whatever. And I called her and I asked her, can I get on the view to promote my book? And of course she said, no, of course she did. I knew she was going to say no. She's like, we're only doing political stuff right now. I can't, you know, there's no room. Of course there's no room for me and my stupid book. But I asked her and I went from the guy who been friends with her for 10 years, never asked her a favor ever, anything that if I called, she knew I wasn't asking for anything for any reason. And now I'm on that list. Now she may not feel like that. I don't know. I feel like that. And so once the book came out, it obviously did pretty well. And I just changed my success for me then was, okay, I don't do that ever again. I'm on vacation. I'm in a t-shirt. Like I don't, I haven't changed in two weeks. I don't need anybody listening to buy my book. I've sold enough books, right? You can't hire me as a client. I don't take on new clients. Like I don't, that's, I, I do this interview with you today on my vacation for no other reason than if it helps somebody out there. That's awesome. I love that. To me, that's like a lot of people talk about doing that. I've talked about doing it, but until I start to walk the walk where you can't buy my online course because I don't have if you like what I say, there is nothing to buy. I can, I, nothing. I only say this to you because I want to help people out there. If I help them, that's great. I love doing that. And that's it. So for me, that was like, kind of like, I finally felt like, oh, I've, I finally as successful as I always said I was, even when I wasn't, I was saying that now I'm finally in a mode where it's like, I don't sell anything anymore. I don't sell anything. Yeah, I get it. I totally get it. It's uh, it's why I do the show. I don't give it like <laughs> it's like it's a real, yeah. it's a sunk cost, dude. <laughs> so yeah. you know, seven years in, three hundred and fifty episodes, like damn. Yeah. Dude. But then, like, but what's the ROI of your mother? And you have to be kind of congruent with your values. And I and I think what I love what you said specifically is, you know, if I if I was really forced into a corner, I said something, and whoever it was said, listen, yeah, you need to choose. You need to choose between your business now and the podcast. And you can only do one or the other for the next 10 years. And I know that if I had to choose either way, I'd be successful. I'm already successful, quote unquote, in both of those anyway. But if I had to choose, I'm the same as you. I would choose the podcast every single time. Um, and, uh, because it's the, it's, it's a funny thing that I'm, I'm going to ask you, at the, as you in your last question, but I always ask people about what's the motivation, like what gets them out of bed in the morning. And, and I've never had a, oh, for, for cash, you know, it's not like a Floyd Mayweather response where it's all about the money, you know, it's all about contribution and, and things like that. But it takes such a long time I've found in my experience to, to recognize what's true you know, in terms of fulfillment, because when you're young and you're ambitious and you think you can walk on water because you, you know, 27 <laughs> and you believe that you can, it's like, um, you know, you, 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 it's all about the, the, the show, right? The dough, yeah. all about the dough, but you get older, you have kids married and then suddenly you think, hang on a second, life's not actually, that's not so it's, it's important of course, but it's not why you should exist. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and it's, it's difficult because I spent a lot of time getting out of bed for money. Like, and yeah. that's the balance is, is when do you feel like, Hey, I've got enough money now. I want to go experience it. I want to go spend it metaphorically on all the effort that I put in. Most people just blow right through that opportunity. Right. Mm. And for me right now in my life, I am in the relentless pursuit of enjoyment and that's it. And I use my wealth to find a way to buy myself more joy. And so whether that's being in a place where I don't need to take on new clients so I can help people for free, that for me is spending my money on joy for me. That makes me happy. It isn't about, I mean, listen, I'll, I would say it's, it's, I'm contributing. I would say I'm charitable, blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, is like, I do it because I like it. I, have, I run a charitable foundation. I do it because it makes me feel good. Like that's the, that's the driver of everything. And so I'm just, I've sort of switched gears from accumulating to spending and that whether that's time, capital, energy, resources, it's all spending now. Like I, like I said, I spend my financial success on finding ways to make myself happy. And sometimes a lot of times that's not having to 
get money out of people. I don't have to, I don't have to have people hire me, which means I don't have to have responsibility, which means I can take six months and travel the country in an RV. And that is because I've worked so hard previously and acquired enough financial capital, I can make these decisions. Now I, I don't, I can't fly a private jet around the country. So I had to stop accumulating at some point and, you know, and, and some guys would be like, you're, some people would think I'm poor. A lot of people would think I'm poor because in financial circles, there, you know, there are people that look at my lifestyle and be like, that is a poor person, right? And so, and there are people that would look at it as the, I'm the richest person they know, blah, blah, blah. None mm-hmm. of that matters. Fact is like, I'm just, I spend my capital now on my way to find joy. And that's what I've been doing the last couple of years. It's been really, really good. It's been a good twist for me. Yeah, there's always the haves and the have mores. <laughs> so right, that's it. You got to, but I think what you know, what I'm hearing and what I resonate with is like you got to know what's enough, you know. Um, yeah. And when to stop accumulating and to start spending. I love the the formulaic logic of that. I think it's so it's so simple. Um, and obviously, um, you're doing a tour around the country in a proper baller RV, which is just it is proper baller. That's true. Thank you for sending me the Instagram video. Oh, yeah. Go head over to Brent's Instagram page and check out this RV, dude. It's pretty wild. It's insane, man. It's proper. It's really, yeah. really it's like I didn't, it's not even, it's it's just mind-blowing actually that that is <laughs> <laughs> coming from Africa. Like I live a good life here and um, yeah, that's like, damn, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, there. it's a thing. How's that possible? It's a big thing. God, so rad. How long are you going to do that for? Do you have any idea? So we're, we're on a six-month run. We're going to do all 48 states in the contiguous USA. And then we should be back in LA by mid-September. That's the plan. Awesome. And then you're going to sell the RV and kind of, what, what's the plan then? Do you have any idea? Yeah, then I'll, then I'll sell the RV and the truck and then I'll figure out what's next. I think, I think, I don't think I'm going to keep it, but you never know. I mean, I, everybody asks me what's next. My answer is pretty simple. It's like, I don't really know. You know, I sold my big house in LA, so I don't have that anymore to to deal with. I don't know that I'm going to live in California. I go somewhere else. I like traveling. The the world is much bigger and more open than you think. Particularly if you live in LA or New York, you get a a mindset of what the rest of the country is like. And turns out most of it's wrong. And so I don't know that I'll go back to being stuck in one spot permanently again. I don't think I need to. I don't know. We're going to find out. I got another three and a half months to go. Yeah. Well, I think that's the best place to be is on the, on the edge of adventure. It's like, yeah. the, it's like having that kind of the, the novelty of, of moving forward into new places, but having the certainty that you're doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. I get that same feeling on a mountain bike when I'm going down a mountain or just suffering basically on a mountain. I get that same kick because it's just, yeah. it's at that point where it's unpredictable. But Brent, uh, so why do you do what you do? Let's wrap this up. Um, like I said, right now I do it because I am trying to train myself how to spend what I have, whether it's time, money, resources, relationships on joy. That is my only goal in life right now. And I was a professional at business and I was an expert in working. And now I used to be an amateur at living life. And now I'm trying to become a professional at living life and having fun and enjoyment. And so that's really why I do it at this stage. I don't need anything else from anybody, which is just the greatest place to be from a guy who's been trying to get people to do stuff all his life. And so now my goal is how do I learn how to, how to make wherever I am the best possible. I always ask my clients, cause I do a lot of lifestyle training and coaching and leadership. And I say like, if it never got better than this, would this be enough? And if you can't say yes, you got real problems because you'll never get there. You have to start living life and looking at life as in, if this was the best it got, how do I make this amazing? Hmm. That's another intellectual thought bomb. Thanks, dude. <laughs> it's been great to have you on the show. Uh, but uh, obviously, wherever you go, just remember, Matt Brown in sunny South Africa will be jealous. <laughs> uh, love that yeah totally jealous it's definitely on the bucket list so but um stay safe wherever you go i, mean, I just yeah. i just met 
a couple from South Africa that just moved really? to Virginia and bought a farm. Dude, that's they've exactly. been there for like nine months. And I was just like, what? And they're like, yeah, we just moved. Really? It was amazing. We had such a great time together with them. Yeah, it's cool. It's a, a thing. One of the just one parting thoughts uh, is that um, as, a, as an entrepreneur, you only make your money when you sell, really. Otherwise, yeah. you're just reinvesting it the whole time. So uh, yeah. when, when my liquidity event happens, that's what we want to do is buy a, a ranch. Not like a, a massive ranch, but that similar type of vibe. So that's just that quality of life again, you know? Yeah. But Brent, thanks so much for your time, dude. It's been a privilege and an honor having you on the show. Thanks for listening to the Matt Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, your inner game for free right now today. You can grab that on mathbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.